0: You are dismissed at this time. They'll be upstairs, parents in the youth rooms. The rest of you say hello to somebody tonight and then you can be seated. All right, Psalm 38, if you want to turn there. That's where we're going to begin our study tonight. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Jerry will slip you a Bible. We'll see how far we get in the Psalms tonight. Psalm 38 through 150, right? Let's just try to get through Chapter 38 tonight, all right? We'll start there. Hey, while you're turning there, just a couple quick announcements. As I mentioned at the beginning of service... Middle schoolers, Friday night at the park, parents make sure that they have bug spray. We'll have bug spray, make sure that they cover themselves because the bugs are pretty bad right now with all the rain and more rain coming, It's what I understand. And uh, so Friday evening, West Pavilion. And um, parents also, if you've got kids that are coming up into middle school, you're not familiar with our youth ministry, it's an opportunity for you to come and hang out and I just want to let you know, you can always stay in, in the classroom if you'd like to. Sit in in a class, ask any questions of Luke and Ashley and, and Eileen and myself, and we'll be happy to answer any questions concerning our youth ministry. But what we want to do is we want to love those kids and we want to give them truth. As I've always said, those two things that the world won't give them. And, um, and to be able to, for them to grow uh, you know, in the Lord Jesus Christ and have fellowship with other kids and uh, so we want to minister to them in the best way that we can. So if you got any questions, Friday night you can go to the park. Uh, you can stay there, uh, talk with Luke and Ashley. And then also on Saturday, high schoolers are going to be there uh, for the park um, from 6 to 7.30 or the times. Again, at Montfort Park right off 47th Avenue. You can go to the west side, to the west pavilion, and that's where they're going to be. Also, Saturday morning, men's prayer at 7 o'clock. And then at 8 o'clock is Men's Breakfast and uh, at Golden Corral down on 23rd Avenue. And then Saturday night is the singles group, adult singles group uh, for uh, potluck at 5 o'clock. And then a Bible study at 7 o'clock. And there's some other things there in your bulletin that the uh, adult singles group is going to be doing. I want to remind you also there's a the water baptism that we're going to have on July 12th. So put that down on your calendar. If you got any questions about baptism please let me know but we'll remind you about that coming up in about a month or so and we just want to get it on your calendar because summer is so busy and um and it's full of activity. so we don't want to let you know that that baptism is coming up on july the 12th Uh, sunday morning we're going to start a new book uh, the book of ephesians we finished peter's epistles um, that we had been going over for the last Uh, three months there are powerful epistles but now we're going to go over the prison epistles which is Ephesians we'll start in Ephesians then Philippians Colossians and Philemon those four books that Paul is pinning from a Roman dungeon and remember that as you line up those epistles with the book of Acts that Paul the Apostle that uh, as he was on his third missionary journey that he made his base of operation in the city of Ephesus And as he's in the city of Ephesus, the gospel began to spread. Uh, There was so much fruit from that ministry, so much so that the people were giving over their idols. Uh, Ephesus was a city that had one of the ancient wonders of the world, as far as um, you know, this temple that's dedicated to Artemis, uh, where they would worship the goddess Diana. And kings and leaders from the Roman Empire came from all over to Ephesus, a major city of Proconsular Asia which is today called Turkey. And there Paul's in the city. He's making tents. Miracles are happening. The gospel spreading so much that the silversmiths that used to make these little idols of Diana uh, were going out of business because people were getting saved. They were bringing their magic books and their sorcery books, and they were burning them. So the gospel uh, was uh, impacting that city. And, and I think about that, how I would long for that to happen here in Greeley. Wouldn't that be great? and um and i believe that god wants to do a powerful work and that's why we want to be a light and give the gospel and and give the opportunities for people to come to christ but in the city of ephesus also what happened is paul was doing a school of discipleship and in that school of discipleship for two years there were those who went out from that school and planted churches throughout Proconsular asia and we know that for example that Paul wrote one of the prison epistles to the church of Colossae, right? Colossae was about 100 miles from the city of Ephesus in this valley where also there was Areopagus and there was Laodicea. Does that ring a bell with you? There's no evidence that Paul ever was in that area. So it is believed by scholars that those disciples that went out of that school planted churches. And then as you go to the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelations chapters 2 and 3 then what you see is Jesus writing those churches to those literal churches in Proconsular Asia as he's standing in the midst of seven golden lampstands. And he turns to Ephesus first and he writes them a letter. Then he turns to uh, Smyrta and to Thyatira and to Pergamon and to the other churches, Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea, all those churches there that he writes a letter to. And so many of those churches were started by the disciples that went out Ephesus. So The church at Ephesus really fascinates me, the history that it went through and how revival was brought. And then Paul left, and then he warned them that false teachers are going to rise up among you, speaking perverse things, and that happened. And then after Paul, at the end of his life, his last letters, he would write those uh, pastoral epistles. And he would write to Timothy and say, Timothy, I've left you here in Ephesus to establish truth once again. And that happened. And then about 30 years later, Jesus writes a letter to them. And they were a church that was, you know, standing on truth and and, uh, standing for uh, the the truth of God and and recognizing that which was false. It was good things. And they were a working church. He says that I know your labors. I know your patience. I know your works that you're doing. They're good things. But this I have against you, that you've left your first love. And I just want to remind us at this point, and then we're going to get into our study, as I just gave you a survey of the New Testament in five minutes. But as we study the Word of God, we take very seriously here at Calvary Chapel as we go through the books of the Bible, all of it. Remember, it was Paul that said to the Ephesian elders that I have not neglected to give you the whole counsel of God's Word. And that's always been my philosophy and the philosophy of Calvary Chapel is to go through the books of the Bible from Genesis the revelation. I don't know if you realize, but we're about ready to go through the complete Bible for the second time since I've been here. And so going through all 66 books of the Bible, that's why we go through it the way that we do. Because I don't want to, you know, shun to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. But here's the thing. That if we don't have love, then we've missed it. And Jesus said, this one thing that I have against you, you've left your first love. So you need to remember from which you have fallen. Remember when revival broke out, when Paul the Apostle, you know, came to the city of Ephesus and there was a great love and things were happening and clicking, but there was a love for Christ. He says, remember from which you have fallen, repent and then return and do those good uh, first works. And we need to always remember from where we came. Remember what it was like when you first got saved and the love of Christ in you, you fell alive for the first time. So you don't want to leave your first love and that can happen when, you know, we get busy with life and in our journey with the Lord, we, we get distracted and we can even get so busy in, in studying and being a student that we leave our first love. He didn't say you lost it, you left it, okay, you need to go back. So a good word for us as we study the book of Ephesus or the book of Ephesians, the the letter he wrote to this uh, church at Ephesus, but tonight we're going to be in Psalm 38, so Lord, we want to study God's Word, we want to be instructed, we want to be edified, we want to be encouraged, but Lord, also we want to be ones that um, it causes us to just love you more. I pray for us tonight as we go through these Psalms, how many we get through, that Lord, it would cause us to love you more and to, to just um, be at awe and wonder of your incredible grace and to know that you're for us and you want to work in our lives. So, Lord, may we be ones that are ready to hear your word and, um, and be teachable. And, Lord, um, I know that you want to touch every heart that is in this room, those who are in the coffee shop, those who are listening on live stream, and I pray that you would do just that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Psalm 38, as you know, that most of the psalms here in book number one, book number one covers Psalms 1 through 41. Most of these psalms that we've gone through have been penned by David. David wrote uh, at least 73 psalms of the 150 that we have in this book. And it's probably that David wrote more than 73. We don't know for sure, but it's very probable that some of the psalms that don't have an author that is attributed to those psalms, that scholars believe that David wrote them, like Psalm 119, Psalm 1 that we went over So David wrote, you know, half of the Psalms, and many of them here in the first book that he's written. And he writes here in Psalm 38, uh, as we read in the title, a Psalm of David to bring to remembrance. And in this Psalm, it is the third penitential Psalm written by David, and how as David is being chastened by the Lord, uh, as he's feeling the hand of the Lord heavy upon him, He's going to write about how it affected him physically and emotionally and spiritually. So in Psalm 38, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure, for your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses me down. So David once again is speaking about the chastening of the Lord. Now he mentions, I find it interesting, being chastened in God's hot displeasure as you read in verse 1. And that is how David feels. But remember that when we talk about the chastening or that is uh, the Lord disciplining us, sometimes people will say, well, the Lord is judging me. And I think that we need to be careful in using that term. Because remember, if you're a child of God, if you are in Christ, that Jesus took the judgment for you. He took the judgment for you on Calvary's cross, the judgment that you and I deserve. But with that said, as we come to Him and we're believers in Christ and we are children of the living God, then know that he will discipline us because he loves us. And that's what Hebrews chapter 12 declares, that he chastens us, he disciplines us out of his love for us. Just like any of us that are children, our parents, we will discipline our children, right? We as parents, because we love them, we don't want them to go down the wrong path. We want them to learn between right and wrong. We want them to, to know when they do wrong. And we have to discipline our children. And we do it because we love our children. And, and that's part of raising our children in the ways of the Lord. Well, our Heavenly Father desires to discipline us and chasten us because of His love for us. And He knows that sin will bring hurt to us. He knows there's going to be repercussions to sin. He wants us to experience that abundant life that He has for you and for me. And to be blessed in this life. And as you remember in Psalm 1, blessed is the one lives for the Lord. That was what the whole psalm was about. Blessed is a man who, who lives after him, who is planted in the things of God and looks to the Lord to guide him and direct him in everything. So the Lord, when we get off track or we're sinning, we can feel perhaps what it seems like the hot displeasure of the Lord. And so he's chastening us and know this as a child of God, he will do that to you. And verse 2, notice that he says that your hand presses me down. He's really feeling the pressure from the Lord. And, and if, you know, any of us are involved in sin or carnality or compromise or an attitude in our hearts that the Lord is saying this is wrong and he's convicting us and we're kind of pushing that away, we will feel the hand of the Lord on us. It's Warren Wordsby that said if we don't listen to the words of his heart, we will have to feel the weight of his hand. And I like that because it's so true. And perhaps, you know, that there was a season in your life or perhaps there may be somebody here that there's compromise in your life right now. Or perhaps there's sin. Or he's dealing with you about something. And you can say, yeah, I kind of feel the the weight of God's hand on me right now. I, I can, you know, feel his hand pressing me down. And he isn't doing it to do you in. But he desires to draw you to himself and desires to bring you and I into repentance whenever there is sin or compromise or carnality that is going on in our lives. And again, remember this, that he does it because he wants to do what is best in our own lives and in our journey with him or walk with him so that we can do well in the things of God. So David, once again, speaking about the chastening of the Lord. And then he says something in verse 3, There's no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones, because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a very heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. So David speaks about how he has been affected physically. And you see, sin will take a toll on any of us, emotionally, spiritually, even physically at times. And here's the thing to remember that sometimes Christians don't like to think about or will not accept in their life. There is consequences to sin. There is forgiveness, and I am so thankful for forgiveness of the Lord. But there are consequences for sin and terrible repercussions that can happen because of sin, and we know that to be true. David experienced that in his own life. When David sinned with Bathsheba, he was one that, um, would confess that sin, Nathan the prophet said, David, you are forgiven, but there's going to be some consequences. There's going to be some consequences concerning your family. There's going to be consequences concerning those who are going to come against you because you've caused the enemies of God to blaspheme his name. There's going to be consequences that are going to happen to you because of this sin that you have committed. And David went through those consequences. We see most definitely with this family and with his you know, um, you know, being the king of Israel and his enemies coming against him, that mounted up opposition against him, and many of these psalms are written out of that experience he had because of the consequence of sin. Listen, don't think that you're getting away with sin, ever, because you're not. And in Galatians, what we see is there's a spiritual principle that is true for every single one of us, and that is that whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you sow seeds to the flesh of so the flesh you're going to what? Reap corruption. If you sow seeds to the spirit of the spirit, you're going to reap the everlasting life. And none of us are exempt from that spiritual truth that is given to us. And if you're sowing seeds to the flesh and of sin and carnality, guess what? A crop is going to come up tomorrow. And we can experience forgiveness of sin. And I'm so thankful. And David, we've already seen. Praise God. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose iniquities, transgressions, that are remembered no more, but there are consequences to sin, and we know that to be true. And I've talked to many people that have called me or come in my office or I've talked to out in the community that they have experienced terrible consequences because of sin and carnality, maybe because of adultery, maybe because of of drugs, alcohol, maybe because of lying, maybe because of of something that they did and there's forgiveness, but there's consequences. And one of the things that I also have seen, that there are Christians that don't understand why there are consequences. And you've got to understand that it's a loving father that says, stay away from sin because I don't want you to get hurt. And I don't want you to experience these consequences and repercussions that are going to do you in. Yes, he's the one that restores the years of locusts of eaten. Yes, he's the one that brings healing, but understand that there is going to be consequences that we will experience if we're involved in sin. So it is the chastening of the Lord that's saying, stop, stop this. I don't want you to get hurt more. It's going to do you in and wipe you out, this sin. So if there's sin in any of our lives, we need to turn it to the Lord. And maybe, just maybe, there's somebody here that you're feeling the the conviction of the Lord. Remember that the conviction of the Lord is always to draw you to Him, not to push you away, so that you restore that intimate fellowship with Him, and then that you are on that path of righteousness that He desires for you to be on. But if you continue in sin, it's going to get worse, and the consequences are going to be terrible. So in verse 6, I am troubled, and I am bowed down greatly. I go morning, uh, morning all the day long for my loins are full of inflammation and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Lord, all my desires before you and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants. My strength fails me as for the light of my eyes. It also has gone from me. David is broken and he's weak and he's in turmoil. And that's what sin does. It takes a toll on us in verse 11, "My loved ones and my friends stand aloft from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off, and those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. So friends and family saw that what he was going through, and they stood afar off. David felt abandoned and lonely. The ones who should have brought comfort to him kept their distance. Now, in this family of God, what I pray is when we see a brother or sister that is involved in sin or carnality, that we wouldn't just ignore them, that we wouldn't just you know, forsake them, but we would have enough love to go and bring correction to them out of love, bring them the word of God, and then we would help them in that restoring process. You know, it's Galatians that says, if a brother is overtaken in a trespass, that we are to restore such a one in a spirit of what? Meanness? No, in a spirit of gentleness, lest we be overtaken by sin as well. So that is a responsibility that we have in the body of Christ, is when we see a brethren that is overtaken in a sin, to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness and in a spirit of meekness, desiring for them to be restored, that close fellowship with the Lord, and again be on the right path in walking with the Lord. And so we are not to forsake them, ignore them, and say, well, I just hope they fall apart. It serves them right. No, we want to show love and bring correction to them. And then as we continue on in verse 13, but I'm like a deaf man, do not hear. I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus, I am like a man who does not hear and whose mouth is no response. So, you know, David had those ones who were seeking his life and Laying, laying down snares for him. Of course, after he sinned with Bathsheba, it was Nathan that said, you're gonna have consequences in your family. Your family, even your own family is gonna come against you. And of course, that happened with the son, Absalom. Absalom, his son, who was bitter towards his father, uh, would try to usurp the throne away from him. David had to flee for his life. And perhaps David is writing this during this time that, that this is happening or shortly after his sin, uh, with Bathsheba. We don't know for sure. But here, as he talks about that I'm not a deaf man. I'm not going to listen to those, you know, the, my enemies. It's too much for me. And um, I'm not going to open up my mouth. And um, I'm like one who doesn't hear and whose mouth is no response. Now, that's the context here, what the psalm is written. But I think that there's some wisdom in this for you and for me as Christians that we will have those who will come against us we that don't like us because simply we are christians and perhaps you're one that you go to work or perhaps in your own family or old friends that they'll talk about you say nasty things about you come down on you because you are a christian and sometimes i think there's some good advice in this is that you know what i'm not going to listen to this i'm not going to listen to all this that's going on and i'm going to turn my ears off to it and i'm not going to speak against that individual. And really it's something that we have to guard, especially in the day in which we're living in, because there's so many voices out there and it's easily accessible to us in social media and Facebook and what people are saying. And we're on Facebook or whatever you know is out there these days and people are listening to all the voices and stuff. And so we need to just be careful. And there's a time where you just gotta turn your ear off to it. And especially as people are being very negative towards you and I, because we are Christian, and, um, and we need to just keep our focus on the Lord. And that's what David is doing here as he goes on in verse 15. For in you, O Lord, I hope, you will hear, O Lord my God. For I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest with, when my foot slips they exalt themselves against me. So David puts his back, focus back on the Lord, and that's what the Lord wants from us. He wants from us when we're going through difficulty and he wants that from us when in that time of chastening takes place. In verse 17, for I am ready to fall and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity, I will be in anguish over my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and they are strong and those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. And those who render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. So here David talks about, you know, that he is one, that he declared his iniquity, and you know, I'm going to anguish over my sin. Um, David was one that truly was a man after God's own heart. I think there's an important verse that I have mentioned to you before, but I, I want to remind you of it. That is in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. You can mark it, but I'm going to read it to you. That Paul the apostle, he's writing to a church that dealt with a lot of carnality, didn't they? And as Paul's writing to them, he's writing to them about, you know, being holy and and repentance. And he says in chapter 7, verse 10 of his second epistle to them, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You see, there's two different kinds of sorrow. There is godly sorrow that's going to lead to Salvation that leads to repentance, not to be regretted. In that word, salvation, there is not just coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and putting your faith in Him and receiving salvation. That is a part of that, but it means the full orb of God's blessing, is what it also has the meaning of in the text there in 2 Corinthians. In other words, that as you are one that has godly sorrow, it's going to lead to repentance, not to be regretted. And you're going to experience the blessings of the Lord as you and I do that, if you repent from sin, any of us, you will never, never regret it. Will you remember that? I need to remember that. Any of us that repent from sin or carnality, if that's the attitude of the hearts or any action or behavior that is in our life, you will never regret it because the Lord's going to honor that and He's going to bless you. He's going to restore. He's going to work in your life not to be regretted, but there's another sorrow that's called worldly sorrow. And that kind of sorrow is just a sorrow where, well, I'm sorry I got caught. But it leads, he says, to death. It, it That is, if you have worldly sorrow, well, I don't really want to repent. I just got this sorrow that is worldly that I have. And I have no interest of in really turning away. I've had people sit in my office and they'll say, oh, I'm You know, I'm going through this. I know I need to stop doing this. But they have no intention of stopping their sin. And it's worldly sorrow. And it leads to death. There's going to be a stench of death that will happen. Just in your spiritual walk, in your soul, in your emotion, in your mind. There's just a death that takes place. So David is warning them, and we need to remember that. Godly sorrow is going to lead to true repentance, which means turning direction and turning to the Lord, confessing it, saying, Lord, this is what I've done. It's wrong. And confession means that I am in agreement with you, Lord. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to, you know, blame everybody else. But what I am doing is wrong. Confession means I'm in agreement with you, Lord, that is sin. And you'll never regret as we come with godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And then David, as he finished the psalm, and he just begins to again cry out to God, do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. And so he ends with three requests. In verse 21, be with me, and also be near me. And then thirdly, the last verse in verse 22, before me, before me. David understood something of the chastening of the Lord. And again, that we need to understand is to bring us closer to God. It's not to, so that, you know, God wants us to go away or for us to run away from God. You see, that's the condemnation of the enemy. The enemy will bring condemnation to you so that he will try to push you away from God. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction to draw you to the Lord, and we need to recognize the difference. Psalm 39, another psalm of David to the chief musician, to Jeduthun. Thun, Jeduthun was one of David's worship leaders, a psalm of David. I said I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was hot within me while I was musing, or that is uh, meditating, is what that word means, um, as uh, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. So David wanted to guard his mouth, his words, for a couple reasons. Number one, he didn't want to sin, verse 1. And how easily we can do that with our words. How easily we can do that with how we speak. And the Bible has a lot to say about that, doesn't it? And what it does is, when we do that, David is saying, I want to do good. David wants to have that worship with the Lord. And he didn't want to sin with his tongue. We are to speak that which is edifying and not to be speaking any corrupt words as Ephesians 5 we will see in our study of the book of Ephesians. We know that our speech is to be seasoned with grace. That we are to speak words to build up and to edify even if that means speaking words of correction and rebuke to others. But sometimes, especially when we are frustrated, and David is frustrated here, you say, how do you know that, Pastor? I mean, look at this as you read this, that he says that my sorrow was stirred up, my heart was hot within me. While I was meditating, the fire burned. You ever had that? Were you just mad about something? And here he's saying, you know, I'm burning deep inside. And, it, and it's in those times where we're really frustrated and upset about something That boy, we can start saying things that can really make the situation worse or cause us to sin or, you know, really hurt somebody. So David wanted to be careful that he did not say something that would only give ammunition for his enemies to come against him or God's people or against God. So David, as he's mad here in verses 2 and 3, we know that Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 7, not Ezekiel, but Ecclesiastes, chapter 3 verse 7 says that there's a time to keep silent and a time to speak, right? A time to keep silent and a time to speak, and the one who is wise knows the difference. The one who is wise and godly wisdom knows the difference when to speak and when to keep silent. So David, he wants to keep silent, he's frustrated here and then he begins to say something as we read in verse 3, then I spoke with my tongue. In verse 4, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. So we see here David, as he takes a pause, Shalah, speaks about the frailty and the shortness of life. Life is short. Life is very, very short. And those of us who are older in this room, we can look and we can say, man, everything goes by so fast, doesn't it? And I am at the point in my life where I think that I've got more that I'm looking back on than I have to look ahead. And I think, wow, life does go by so fast. It, it is short. And he talks about the frailty and the shortness of life. And David here has an eternal perspective. And here, as we see that, In in verse 6, he goes on after the pause, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. So he's talking about the one who does not have an eternal perspective, who's not thinking about eternity, who doesn't think that there's more to this life, that life is short. And when he says they busy themselves, it literally means in the Hebrew makes an uproar for nothing. I'll speak for myself, but there are times where, you know, I make an uproar, I get so upset about something, I get hot in, you know, in my heart, like David, over nothing. That really isn't that important. I remember one Bible teacher saying, don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all pretty much small stuff. You know, we get so upset over things that, that perhaps that that we shouldn't, and and. We lose that perspective and and I can get so upset and nitpicking and and all of this and I start to lose my perspective. This morning, I came in to make coffee. Now you don't mess with me when I make coffee in the morning, all right, especially early. But you know, the, the handle things that in the coffee shop there, sometimes when they get cleaned out, you gotta kinda check it before you start the coffee because if it's down, then guess what? Well, that happened to me. So I set, you know, uh, the coffee, and I go upstairs, and I come down, and there's coffee all over the floor. And you know what? There was nobody around to yell at. There was nobody around to get upset and bite their head off at all. And, um, and I thought about, who can I call? But, uh, <laughs> but something like that, you know, could just set me off for the rest of the day. And i got to study for tonight. i got to get ready for Calvary Live, all these other things. And the Lord was just saying, just clean it up and be done with it. You know, you're in an uproar. So, you know, he really spoke to me when I was going over my notes here in Psalm 40. It's like, okay, Lord, it's not that big a deal, you know. It's, it's something that just happened. And, um, but we can let things like that just ruin our day, ruin our witness, say things that we shouldn't say. And, um, and we need to be careful in that time. You know what? We need to remember that the Lord has blessed us so much. We're forgiven. We have the hope of heaven. And he blesses us every day. But sometimes we get so focused on the things that can upset us. And, and you know, we get upset. And um, here we need to remember that life is short. And there's things that are important. You know, relationships. Relationships with others. know one of the things that I really learned from when my dad um, was sick and you know he couldn't talk to us anymore because of the the dementia that really had set into him for the last two years of his life he couldn't talk and I really missed that just being able to to talk to dad but I could see in him the thing that was important because my dad was a warrior. I loved my dad he was a great provider he was a, a man of humility and he taught us how to work. I'm very appreciative of my dad, but he worried about a lot of things and he fretted about a lot of things in his life. And, um, and at the end of his life, I saw that the things that he fretted so much about weren't important anymore. And what was important was his family and being with his family. And we need to always remember that, that our family is important and relationships that you have here, don't ever take it for granted. You know, this is the family of God. We are so blessed here at Calvary Chapel, and I am closer to you guys than you know some of my family that I have that I don't have opportunity to have fellowship with, or they're not believers, or you know, distance family, or I don't get to see. But you guys, you are my family, and um, and we are the family of God. Even though we're getting bigger and we're getting bigger and we're getting bigger, the love of Christ, and that's what's important. And may we never take that for granted, the relationship that we have. One of the things that you notice that if you've been listening to me on Calvary Live, people calling in and they have questions and struggles and and really are hurting and stuff. And one of the things I ask them is, are you involved in a church? And it isn't that I'm trying to get them to come to this church or anything, but I know the importance of them being with a group of believers in the body of Christ, which is so important that that takes place because you're gonna find the love of Christ there you're going to find those who are going to encourage you and bless you and help you and be there for you in those times of frustration, in the difficult times, in the times where you're feeling alone, in the times where you're going through trials, and that those relationships are very, very important. So I pray that we would always remember how blessed that we are that we have that, that we got a church family, that there's God's love that is here and amongst God's family. And so we see that... Um, that David is writing about that as he finishes here this, um, this psalm. Um, so as we continue on, um, he is just um, saying these things and um, wanting to um, just, you know, as he feeling frustrated, the frailty, of the shortness of life. And then in verse 7, as he says, um, that, and now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. And this is the main verse of the psalm where it's a turning point for David. So life is so short, it passes quickly. So what am I waiting for, David asks. And then in verse 5, you remember as we read that he says that certainly every man is best is but a vapor. James says the same thing, doesn't he, in his epistle? that life is but a vapor, and you think about that, that vapor that just is there for a moment, and then it goes away. In comparison to eternity, it is. So let me give myself to the Lord because my hope is in you. And it's very important as Christians that we have that mindset. Our hope is in Christ. It's not in this world. Now, in this world, there are things that we can enjoy, and certainly we have things that we like to do, and, uh, but our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Christ. And to keep that eternal perspective is what you and I are to do. And uh, to be rich towards heaven is what the Lord desires for us to do. And that's the one who is blessed. In verse 8, deliver me from all my transgressions and do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. When with rebukes you correct man for iniquity, and you make his beauty melt away like a moth, surely every man is, is vapor, shalat, another pause there. So he's waiting for the Lord to work as you are, you know, working in my life. My hope is in you. Forgive me for my transgressions. And in verse 12, hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner, as all my fathers were. And remove your gaze from me that I may regain strength before I go away and am no more. So God hears us when we cry. And notice here that he sees our tears. He says, do not be silent of my tears. And maybe for some of you, there's been some tears that you've been shedding because of your hurting, because of circumstances, maybe because of loss. And know this, that in other places says that he takes our tears and puts them in a bottle. Your tears are very precious to God. And he sees your tears, and he knows your tears, and he desires to bring the comfort to you that you need in those times where you're full of sorrow and grief, and you're shedding those tears. And David knew that. He was one. Remember he talked about how he soaked his pillow at night because of his tears? The Lord sees you in your grief and in your sorrow. He knows your tears, and that brings comfort to us. And in Psalm 40 to the chief musician, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and has established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. So when we find ourselves in a pit, three things that we are to do. Number one, cry out to God. And certainly we know that sometimes it is hard when you feel like you're in a pit, you know, and we are to cry out to God. Second of all, we are to wait on God, and then we are to praise God, and that's what he does in verse 3, praise to our God. And what is hard sometimes is when we find ourselves in the pit of life, that is circumstances that you find yourself, you're just in a hole, maybe a pit of depression, maybe a pit of despair, despair or frustration, or our sorrow, whatever the case may be for you. They, it's hard to praise the Lord, but the reason that we can praise Him in our life is because He has brought us out of the pit of hell, hasn't He? And He has saved us. And we are forgiven of sin. And we are a child of God, and we belong to Him. So David knew this. I think this was a real key in David's life that I want to have applied in my life more and more, that when I am feeling down, when I find myself in a pit, that I'm gonna worship the Lord. I'm gonna praise Him, even when it's hard, just in my heart, Lord, I'm gonna praise you and give my heart to you because I am saved. I may not understand everything that's going on in my life right now, but I am going to look to you. And I'm gonna cry out to you, I'm gonna praise you, and I'm going to wait on you. And we've talked about how important it is in our spiritual lives to be ones that wait on the Lord, moment by moment, day by day, just watching him work, knowing that he has given us all things that we need, comfort and strength and wisdom and direction in our lives. And so he's working for good in our lives. Joseph found that to be true in the book of Genesis when he was thrown into a pit literally, right? And his brothers were going to kill him. And they said, nah, let's make some money off of them at least. Let's sell him off into slavery. And he goes to Egypt. And there Joseph, for the next about dozen years, was very difficult for him. And most of those years he found himself unjustly be put into an Egyptian dungeon. And listen, being in jail, prison, in a dungeon back in ancient times was not pretty. Usually most people died there. But Joseph honored the Lord in what he did, and God was working to where he went from prison to pride minister because God had a plan. And can you imagine as you study the you know, book of Genesis and Joseph's life, all those years that he's in that dungeon, and I imagine it's, it's wet and it's dripping water and it's mice infested and rat infested and bugs and it's hot and he's there, and he was accused unjustly by Potiphar's, you know, wife. And he had been one that he desired to do was right in the sight of the Lord, and he continued to minister to other prisons. He did what was right. And he's sitting there, and he's sitting there, probably wondering, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to rot in this pit, in this dungeon? And all of a sudden, he gets the call. The Pharaoh wants to see you. He's heard that you can interpret dreams. And he goes up and Pharaoh says, I had this dream with, you know, these seven skinny cows and seven fat cows. And, you know, and what does it mean? We heard that you can interpret dreams. Tell us the dream. And you know what? Think about this. Put yourself in his sandals. I think I would have had the tendency of, yeah, I can interpret dreams. I'm pretty good, but it's going to cost you, Pharaoh. Pharaoh. You've got to get me out of this pit. I've got to get out of here. I mean, think about it. But you know what Joseph said? He said, it's not me. There's a God in heaven that will interpret it. And I think he really meant that. And I think that as he said to Pharaoh, you're going to have seven years of, of great you know, crops. You need to store them up because then seven years, the seven skinny cows are going to come along. And there's going to be famine. And there's going to be difficult. You need to appoint somebody who's going to be wise enough to be able to help you. And Pharaoh said, it's going to be you. And all of a sudden, within an hour, he went from prisoner to prime minister. Because he did what was right and he trusted God even when he was in a pit. Literally with his brothers and in that dungeon. God is working. And we need to cry out to him and praise him. That's what Joseph did and then you wait on him to work in your life. And knowing that he has the very best for you, and we can trust him, and we can know that God is going to bring us to that place where, you know what, we look back and we say, how incredible that you are working for good, not for bad. So that's what Joseph did at the end of his life. He said, what you meant for bad, God meant it for good to his brothers. So we need to cry out to him in those times. We need to wait on him, and we need to continue to worship him. And also in verses 1 through 3, David is remembering God's past working and faithfulness. And we need to remember God's past faithfulness. It was a major message of the prophets that were calling the children of Israel to repentance. You recall the prophets that came to the house of Israel, to the house of Judah, when they were involved in idol worship. You know, I was looking at the book of Judges, chapter 2, Today as I was reading that, and that generation after Joshua, it says in chapter two that that generation began to compromise and to worship idols, and they did not remember the Lord or the works of the Lord. We need to remember the Lord, and we need to remember the works of the Lord. What he has done his past faithfulness for you and for me. and that's what David is doing. And blesses the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud. Nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. And your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. So again, not only remembering the works of the Lord, but to be comforted knowing that God constantly thinks of us. And we can have the mindset of, well, you know, God must not think of me. Nobody else thinks of me. And maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, nobody ever pays any attention to me. No one ever calls me. No one ever thinks of me. No one ever talks to me at work. I feel so alone. Listen, the Lord thinks of you. He thinks of you constantly. As a matter of fact, when we get to Psalm uh, 139, you know the verse, a lot of you do, that he, it is David that's writing about how the Lord, he thinks of us constantly all the time. And... Let me read it to you as I find it. Psalm 139 and verses 17 and 18. As David writes, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So how precious are your thoughts towards me. If I numbered them, it would be more than a sand on the seashores. And then, of course, Jeremiah, that famous verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, that the Lord says, I know my thoughts towards you, and they are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. The Lord is thinking about you. He thinks about you constantly, and you're not alone. And David knows that, and he understands that. And then in verse 6, sacrifice and offering you do not desire. My ears you have opened, burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in and scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. A couple things here. David, he understood something that Saul didn't understand. Remember the first king of Israel? Sometimes people will ask me, well, you know, Saul, you know, he didn't commit murder. He didn't commit adultery. Why was God so hard on Saul? And, and it was Saul head and shoulders above everyone else. He started out well. But then all of a sudden, as he was told in 1 Samuel chapter 15, that Saul, you go and kill all the Amalekites, wipe them out, and all the sheep and oxen for what they did to the children of Israel in the wilderness. The Amalekites were terrible. They sneak up on the rear of the children of Israel, and they would pick off the children and the... You know, the pregnant women, they would kill, and they were just awful, the Amalekites. And God said, judgment's going to come to them. And Saul, you are going to go against the Amalekites. You need to get rid of all of them. And so Saul went to battle, and he would keep Agai, the king of the Amalekites, and the best of the sheep and oxen, and he brought them back. And you recall that in that text also it says that Saul built a monument at Carmel for himself. He built a monument for himself. He was lifting himself up. He was exalting himself. He comes back. There's Samuel the prophet. It says, What are you doing, Saul? God has rejected you. What do you mean God's rejected me? I did everything that the Lord commanded. Really, Saul? Then what's the bond of sheep that I hear in my ear? And who is this guy? Well, that's Agai. King of the Amalekites. I brought him back as a trophy. And it was Samuel the prophet that rebuked Saul. And said, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. And there was Saul saying, oh, just forgive me in front of the people. Bless me in front of the people. I want to look good. I set up a monument for myself there at Carmel. You can't do this to me. That was the difference between Saul and David. David truly repented. Godly sorrow leading to salvation, not to be regretted. It led to repentance. It was Saul that had worldly sorrow. And it led to death. And it was Saul after that that weirded out and began to pursue David and hated David. And God rejected him. So David understood something, that it's better to obey than a sacrifice. He's not interested, not desire to sacrifice and offerings. Yes, it is there when we truly need to turn to the Lord, but he wants us to walk in obedience to him and turn to him. And so he talks about that. And then in verse nine, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, you, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Now, I wanted to make one quick um, comment on, um, you know, verse seven. That then I said, Behold, I come in a scroll of the book it is written of me does that sound familiar to you look at john remember it was jesus that said to the religious leaders you search the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life but these are they which testifies of me in other words as we read the old testament that it points to christ it speaks of christ it's all fulfilled by christ that's what he was saying you search the scriptures they speak of me and that's what a lot of Christians don't understand. That's why it's important to, to read the Old Testament because it speaks of Christ. People ask me, is it important to read the Old Testament? Why? It seems so outdated and you know, all this stuff. Yeah, it is important because you're going to understand the New Testament better. And it is Jesus that quoted from the book of Deuteron- uh, Deuteronomy more than any other book. But we need to put the whole counsel of God together and so we know that it testifies of Christ. And then you have declared His word as David says, I haven't, you know, restrained my lips. Oh Lord, you know yourself. I have not hidden, you know, your righteousness. I've declared your faithfulness and salvation. And that's what we are to do, to declare his goodness and his faithfulness and his salvation a gospel message. While we have time to do it, while we have opportunity to do it, I do not understand churches that are seeker sensitive Oh, we kind of want to tell the gospel, but, you know, we don't want to offend anybody. The gospel will offend. People need to hear the clear message of the gospel. Why would you want to keep the greatest news that anyone could ever hear from somebody? Because you're afraid that they might be offended or you're afraid that, you know, we got to be sensitive to them. No, they need to hear that they need to repent and turn to Jesus. He loves them. Let's make that clear. When we talk to others, we don't have to ram it down their throats. But point them to Jesus and his love for them and his provision that he's made for them. And that's what David does here. Oh, I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. And do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. So I'm not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart fails me and so we see that david here just uh, continues to pray to god to deliver him from his problems in verses 13 through the end of the psalm he says be pleased O lord to deliver me O lord make haste to help me let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life let them be driven back and brought to dishonor who wish evil me evil let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me aha aha and let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you let such as love your salvation say continually the lord be magnified for i am poor and needy yet the lord thinks upon me you are my help and my deliverer do not delay oh my god so father we thank you we thank you for these three psalms that we went through and for your word given to us and lord i just pray tonight that we would know that you have the very best for us even when you're chasing us even when your hand is heavy upon us because you love us and you want to draw us to yourself and Lord what my prayer is we would remember that your thoughts towards us are continual and Lord not to withhold truth and the truth of the gospel what you have done your loving kindness as David said I will not withhold that in the great assembly and Lord, the opportunities that we get to share with others, that we would do that. And that we would share that Jesus loves them and died for them, and wants to save them and forgive them. And Lord, I pray that right now, if there are any that are here tonight listening, perhaps even somebody on live stream, that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. He died for your sins because of his love for you. We're all sinners that Jesus took the judgment that you deserve upon himself as he hung on that cross. And the Bible says that you are to turn direction and turn to Jesus and come in faith. You can't save yourself. You can't do enough works to save yourself. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ and recognizing your need for the Savior of the world and that he is Lord. He says, come, just as we sang, come as you are. Come as I am. To forgive you of sin. And if that's you, today is the day of salvation, because there's no other salvation. It's only Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave. No one else did that for you. He proved that He is Lord. Will you come to Him? Because life is short, as we read tonight. It's but a vapor, and tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. Turn to Jesus tonight, and you pray, Jesus, come into my heart. I open my heart to you to be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me. You were put into a grave and you rose again, and that you're alive. And I ask that you would be the King and Lord of my life, sit upon the throne of my heart, and thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me, and thank you for your loving kindness towards me. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. If you prayed that prayer tonight, I want you to come up and pray with me after the service is over in just a few minutes. But for all of us, I just want to pray if there's anybody here listening, that maybe you're feeling the chastening of the Lord or conviction of the Lord, that you would just give it to Him right now. He loves you. And He doesn't want you to continue in whatever compromise or sin or carnality that you're involved in. And that you would just confess it, be in agreement just say, Lord, help me turn from it truly, not to have worldly sorrow, but to have godly sorrow leading to salvation. It leads to repentance, not to be regretted. That you can experience the blessing of the Lord and the abundant life that He has for you. And Lord, I pray that we would walk out of this place being encouraged and blessed. The love that is here being a part of the family. Maybe if we find ourselves in a pit of circumstance that is a drag and difficult and hard, that we can cry out to you. We can worship you and wait on you. So, Lord, thank you for tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? Remember Sunday, 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock, the book of Ephesians. So invite somebody out to Calvary Chapel as we gather once again. Men's breakfast, 8 o'clock. Men's prayer, 7 o'clock. Youth events. So make sure that you look at your bulletin for all the latest things that are taking place. If you need any prayer for anything at all, come up. And I'll be here hanging out just uh, to minister to you and pray with you for anybody who needs it. Dustin, go ahead and close this.